Well, uh, good evening, and it's a, a great privilege to be here. I've uh, known uh, Scott and Brother Bob on, on the internet through email for some time now, I, I guess two or three years, and I've always wanted wanted to come here. I've, we've had a my, me and my family have been wonderfully blessed spending time with uh, Tim and Amanda here. And last year I nearly came here with Bob Jennings to the conference. I was in Sedalia at the time, but and that didn't work out. But then this year when I was in uh, Louisville, uh, Kentucky, I, I said I was going to St. Louis next. Now I didn't know I was coming here. And they said, oh, Rock, the Rockport Baptist Church is there. And I was thinking, I'm going to St. Louis and I'm not going to Rockport Baptist. How, how did that happen? <laughs> but uh, thank the Lord it did. So, Okay, if we open our Bibles to uh, Mark's Gospel and chapter 5. I want us to look together at this account of Jesus healing and more than that, saving the man with the demon here, the demoniac. And Mark, he has a, he has a habit of this, of, of showing Jesus saved these people who look far, far gone. So, so let's, let's stand for the reading of God's word. And I'll read from uh, verse 1 to 20, and then we'll pray. They came, Jesus and his disciples, to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles of chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs, And on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion. For we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him, that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, 
and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can read your word now, we can study, we can look at your word together. I thank you for the singing of the saints here in this church and the wonderful fellowship, the wonderful work you're doing here. By your blood now, by Jesus only, we enter into your presence and we ask, Lord, that you would bless this word now, that you, the living God, by your Spirit's help, would give unction, that you would speak to us tonight, that you, that you would make this word clear. Your Spirit is the helper. I pray you would help. And just as you have taken our sins away as far as the east is from the west, I pray you would do this tonight. I pray for, for anyone struggling in here, for anyone who's been living uh, far from Jesus, I pray for anyone lost that they would find you this evening, that, or more, more accurately put, Lord, that you would find them and they be found in you. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so verse 1 begins here. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasians. They were being Jesus and his disciples. Now, it's interesting to note here that Jesus, he crossed the sea here to save this one man. And we, we often see accounts like this, just like in the account when G, the Lord Jesus goes into Jericho to save Zacchaeus there and his family. The man here was demon-possessed. He had an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, it says in verse 3, and no one could bind him anymore. No one ha- this man was in a state where no one else could help him. Many people today are in a state where no one else can help him. And this is the same. I mean, there's many people in false religion looking for help in other places. Many people trying to be saved by their works, by their church going, trusting in that they've been baptized, that they've had a Christian upbringing. That uh, it's common in England that they've been confirmed. They've had some kind of service. That they've cleaned up their life. That they've kicked a certain sin. Many people trusting in all different things. But it's still not giving the, the real peace of conscience there. But many people are, are trying to help themselves. Charles Spurgeon once said that if he told you to walk a hundred miles in order to be saved, people would do it straight away or tomorrow. If the gospel was to tell people of some great thing that people could do, then people would willingly do it. But people won't admit that they're in this place when no one else can help them. That they cannot help themselves. You see, what I'm trying to say here is no one could bind him anymore. No one could help this man. Restrain his conscience. Well, this is exactly the type of person that Jesus does help. The one who comes to the end of themselves. The one who says, oh wretched man that I am, who can deliver me? from this body of death. The second thing I want to note here 
is you have the man in verse 5, night and day, cutting himself in the tombs and on the mountains. He's cutting himself. A, a demonic act in himself here, in itself here, but crying out. He was always crying out. Maybe that describes someone here tonight. Crying out inside. Maybe you see the peace that others have in the church. Or maybe you, you know, you're thinking, where is the blessedness? When I first saw the Lord. And you're crying out day and night. Wanting something more. I remember before, before I became a Christian, I, I, I went to, I went to church for like six years. It wasn't a good one like this one. Um, it was all kind of uh, liturgy and, uh, you know, uh, just rituals basically. The teaching was 15 minutes. Very, very little gospel there. But in that time, I knew the gospel in a vague sense, of course. I knew that, you know, Jesus died for me. I wasn't saved because I didn't see myself as a sinner. I knew Jesus died for sinners, but I was a good person. So, it was no good to me. I, I still had a, 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 G, a Jesus plus in my life. But in that time, I knew there was something more. I knew there was something more that he didn't have. Of course, it was Jesus. I never came to personally know him. I knew cliches, you know, like I've got a relationship with Jesus, but I, I, didn't, I didn't know him. That's what they kind of learn you. But my point is this, I was crying out, wanting something more. I had to go outside of the church I was in to do that. You don't have to do that here. Well, maybe that's some people here crying out. Well, Jesus is always the answer. What you need. You know, many, there are many circles, they will put other things in the place of Jesus. Whether it be end times prophecy. People always want to talk about that. Creationism. A certain perspective on holiness. A certain Bible translation. Not that these things are not important. The family. Homeschooling. Something else becomes the focus other than Jesus. You know, Jesus must be central. He is the main thing. Always, everything must be built around Him. Then in verse 6, it says, And when he saw Jesus from afar, this man, he could, uh, before that point, he could only see Jesus from afar. Jesus seemed afar off for him, from him. The first thing I noticed when I got into this pulpit was how much I... I could have done with my glasses, so I can't even see the back of the room, but fortunately I can see my Bible here. But it seems so far. Well, is that how Christ seems to you? You can only see him from afar off. Because it's not meant to that, be that way. We're not meant to follow Christ at a distance. And believers can get into this trap too. You know, you you sin, and then you think you have to follow from afar. But what does First John say? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And at first, you get that truth. You confess. You repent. You're broken. You're following Him. But then. 
The devil comes to you like Peter and says, how often shall God forgive you? Just seven times? Well, that's the eighth time. Well, 70 times seven. You keep on going is the idea. Now, that's not an excuse to sin. Uh, Paul, uh, John wrote those things that we, that we might sin not. That we might sin less is the idea. Because, listen, you do sin less the more closer you, you walk with God. And what I mean, uh, the more confidence you have that God loves you, that God cares for you, that God accepts you, apart from any works, apart from anything in you. But people have that, we get that idea, don't we? With sin, so before you can walk with God, before you can be close to God again, you have to read ten chapters of the Bible. So you do some sort of penance. But the gospel is, we never had any part with God in the first place, apart from what Jesus Christ has done. And so, we always go to him on that basis and that basis alone, fully accepted. But maybe, he saw Christ afar off here. But when you see his holiness and your sinfulness, that is how it can seem. Your unworthiness. And that he knows all your thoughts, he knows everything. He knows you better than you. You know, maybe some people in here think, well, I I know Christ has saved other people in this church. I can see that. I can see their lives. I can see their reality. I know he came to save other sinners, but not me. Maybe you think I'm too far gone. Well, this man, he saw Jesus from afar off. Just like the prodigal saw Jesus. Well, it was... It was when God saw him from afar off. You see, we have this idea, don't we? I'm too far from Jesus, so I can't come to him. But when the prodigal was afar off, when God the Father saw him from afar off, what did he do? The Father ran to the prodigal. You see, being afar off does not does not disqualify you from being saved. It's what fits you for being saved. Just like being sick fits you to go and see the doctor. Being thirsty fits you to go and see a, uh, to go and have a drink. Verse 6, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran. The man ran to Jesus and and fell down before him. Sometimes people, I counsel people who are struggling to be saved, they're struggling to believe and and they're, they're looking at self. But take your eyes off self for a moment. Take your eyes and consider Jesus. You consider Jesus. Is he not worth, could you you not just fall down before him like this man did here? I mean, consider who he is. That he's God. The God-man. Consider he's a friend of sinners. You know, he shows time and time again all these people being saved. All these hopeless people being saved. All people from all different walks of life being saved. You have Pharisees saved. You have lepers saved. Tax collectors saved. 
That's to show us that anyone can be saved if they'll come to Christ. Consider the wounds of Jesus. You can sit, you take your eyes off self for a moment, consider his wounds. Does that make you not want to fall down before him and worship him? Who are those wounds for? Someone tell me. Why was he pierced? For who? For us. I've been reading in my Max Shane reading plan. I've just restarted it again. I just kind of keep going through with it. But in Acts 1-7, to in Peter's message there and Stephen's, where he keeps seems to go with it is, you crucified the Messiah. This Jesus whom you crucified. This is what he points out to them. That it's our sins, our guilt that put Jesus on the cross. Consider why he died. For your sins. Verse 7, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? This, tans, this, this is often what uh, people shout on the street. What has Jesus to do with me? An objection people bring to the gospel. Well, this man's demon possessed her here. So you see where it comes from. Sometimes when we're uh, preaching and just even witnessing on the streets of Manchester, you people will occasionally will come screaming in your face. You're pushing your religion on people and what have you to do with me? Exactly the same reaction here. What have you to do with me? You see, when Satan has hold of a people, this is how they think. They'd rather be a pig. Just like these, these demons here, Jesus sent them into the pigs. But they'd rather be a pig wallowing in the pig trough of sin than come to Christ. That is what happens when Satan has hold of people who would rather have something else other than Jesus Christ. You know, that is really a test of salvation. Is, is Jesus the preeminent one? Is he the pearl of great price to you? You know, like he told the parable, didn't he, of the merchant who when he saw that one great pearl He didn't just sell all his other pearls, but he sold everything he had to gain this one pearl, well, pearl of great price. Well, that is a picture of salvation. That someone finds Jesus more precious than anything else. He's willing to part with all else, if necessary, to have Christ. Like the rich and ruler would not part with his money. That was his idol. With the woman at the well, her idol was was lust she had a problem with. But of course, when she saw Jesus, I mean, she left the water pot. She left her old life and was willing to part with all. And this here, again, in in verse 7, what have you to do with me? 
There are some people who will go to church just out of uh, custom, out of practice, go week by week. But then they hear something that pricks them, pricks their conscience. They know there's something wrong in their life. They, they have to put it right. Well, they explain it away. What have you to do with me, son of God? They make excuses. I adjure you, by God, do not torment me. Now, of course, this man is demon-possessed here. It's likely that the demon is, is speaking through him here. I know that. But, you know what he says here? Do not torment me. This is typically how a lot of people think. A Christian comes to them with the gospel, witnessing to them. Jesus comes to a person through them. They think he's come to torment them. You know, just, and often, even a believer can fall into this. Having wrong thoughts about God. Thinking Christ is coming to torment them. Do not torment me. Now, there will be a day of torment, of course. There will be a day of judgment coming. God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through whom the man God has appointed. And God has prepared only two places. Heaven, eternal paradise, or eternal hell. Eternal suffering. There will be a time of torment for all those who refuse to come to Christ. But today is the day of salvation. When Christ comes to you today, it's a day of salvation. When the the gospel message, when you're reading this word, it's the time to come to Christ. He doesn't come to torment people in this time now. He's not come to to condemn people who are condemned already. But he's come to save. Don't think Jesus is coming to to torment you. But he comes to give life. So don't think up reasons, 21 reasons why you can't come to him, why you can't trust him, why you can't believe him. And just let us... Consider that question again he asked. What what have you to do with me? Or what have I to do with you? I mean, imagine saying that to Jesus. What have you to do with me? Well, people think like that. Well, first of all, he's your creator. He made the whole world. That's what he has to do with you. He made everything. And he is worthy of worship. He is the God who in the beginning said, let there be light, and there was light. You are made to glorify him. And there's no true life without that. You know, sometimes people will mock, it's kind of used as a cliche evangelism line, that, you know, there's a God-shaped hole in your heart and only Jesus will fill it. Well, it's true. We were made to love and serve God. The devil's lie in the beginning was, you know, disobey God. Go your own way. Be your own God. And all it brought upon man was curse. It was in paradise before that. What is Jesus to do with you? The Father has given all judgment unto His Son. He's the one we'll all stand before. He's the one we'll all be judged by. 
on judgment day. And he is the standard as, uh, as well. You know, most people think of the, the judgment, uh, the judgment seat of a, as a set of scales. Good deeds on one side and bad deeds on the other. And the hope the good deeds will outweigh the bad deeds. Well, the judgment is a set of scales, but it's not good deeds versus bad deeds, but rather it is you on one side of the scales and the person of Jesus Christ, the God-man, on the other side of the scales. And in order to be good enough to get to heaven, you have to measure up to him. Well, who's that? No one, because we've all sinned. He was sinless. We've all sinned in thought, thought, word, and deed. And no matter how many works we do, no matter how much you clean up your life, You're never going to balance the scales with Jesus Christ. The only way to be saved is to trust in what he's done. You need to take your own works off the scales self and let him balance the other side. You see, it's all of Christ and nothing. You know, the king has invited you to the wedding feast of his son. To this salvation. And what have you to do with Jesus? Well, it's by his grace that everyone's not already in hell. You know, every good that even the most hardened unbeliever experiences in this life is only through the mercy of God. Only through the mercy of Christ. This should cause us to be thankful, to to realize this. You know, a a few years back, um, I was in a place called Aachen in in Germany. And in the apartments, I I learned a little bit of German. Einen Schwarzen Kaffee. Can I have a black coffee? The important things first, you see. And... But there were signs on the apartment outside and I I couldn't understand them. There was too much German in there. And I asked my, uh, the, the brother who was staying with what, what it said and he said, oh, there's these, uh, bugs, uh, infested in the apartments. And I thought, oh, great. And one morning I went into the shower and it was just there. Now, if I said it was, as big as a golf ball, I'd be exaggerating slightly, but only slightly. It was a huge, grotesque, ugly thing. Probably nothing compared to what you have here in Missouri. But it was just there. It was labor, helpless, grotesque, vile. First moment I got, I squashed the thing, flattened it, killed it. Then I realized that thing was so vile for me to look on. The moment I was in a position, I crushed it. And yet me, in all my sin, how much more vile did I look compared to a holy God? And yet, did he just crush me? The first moment he got, no, he he was crushed in my place. This is what Jesus has to do with us. That the Son of the Most High God, that He would come and die in our place to take away our sins. In verse 9 here, He says his name is Legion. For we are many. There was many demons in this man. But maybe some of someone thinks I can't come to Jesus. My sins are many. My sins are too many. I'm too bound up. But again, this this is all the more reason to go to him. 
He saves people just like this. Maybe some people think, I can't come to Jesus. My temptations are too many. There's some idol you want to let go of, but you think it's too strong. Or maybe many idols. Well, he justifies the ungodly. But a believer can get into this as well. You know, a believer can be uh, being at a distance from God because they're thinking their temptations are many. They're overawed by temptations. But listen, one, one wonderful lesson I learned was do not confuse temptation with sin. It's, it's not a sin to be tempted. Otherwise, Jesus would have sinned because he was tempted in all things, yet without sin. But it's not a sin to be tempted. What Satan does, you see it in Ephesians, he, he hurls those fiery darts at you, puts suggestions, thoughts into your head, maybe a prideful thought, uh, a thought, a hateful thought, a lustful thought, comes from nowhere. He puts them into your head. A doubting thought. I mean, in, in Matthew, he says to Jesus, the, he tempts him to doubt that he's the Son of God. If you are the Son, if. Tempts him to doubt that he, he's really the Son of God. He puts that thought into his head. Just like he'll do the same to you. Tempt you to doubt you're not a Christian. Because otherwise, you know, you, you read a biography like Leonard Ravenhill and he says, so where are you? Well, Christians have different fruit. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. But temptation is not sin. It's, it, it only becomes sin when we start to enjoy it, when we embrace it. When we, when we accept it. You, you know, you're, you're reading your Bible and a, a bad thought comes in into your head. Maybe it's a, a prideful thought, a lustful thought. Well, that's not your own thought. You was reading your Bible. You wasn't thinking of those things. Or just like you go down to pray. And a bad thought just suddenly pops into your head. Well, that, again, that's not yours. Because what Satan does, he comes to you and he, he tells you, he puts those thoughts into your head. And then you then the next thing he's saying to you is like, you shouldn't be having those thoughts, so you're not a Christian. But again, it, temptation only becomes sin when you accept it, when you start to enjoy it. That you don't want those thoughts, that you want to be free of them is a sign they're not yours. So don't feel condemned, but reject those things. Remember, Jesus was tempted. So, if you're a believer, in those times when temptations are legion, when they are many, don't think that's reason to not come to Christ. You know, Jesus was a, a great high priest, it says, uh, that when it says he was tempted in all things. He was tempted in all things like we are, yet without sin. What does it say there? You go boldly to him in time of need. Well, the time of need is typically when Satan tells you that you shouldn't go. That you're too dirty to go. Were you supposed to go to the throne of grace, the throne of unmerited favor? Again, that those scriptures are promises. Take those things. You cannot be presumptuous about believing on them. As Brother Charles Lyder says in in the reading of the Gospels, he's, he, he never he never Jesus never once rebukes the disciples for being presumptuous and believing him too much. But he often says, "O ye of little faith." You know, we must take these promise, promises. It's all by faith alone. It's all by Him. And in verse 9 here, 
And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied to him, Legion, many. This is another thing. What is your name? He admitted his, his problems were many. Just like the woman healed her of the blood flow uh, later in chapter 5. She confessed all before. She didn't try to cover up. If we cover up our sins, it won't profit. But we must confess them. And let God cover our sins. We must be real before Him. Admit who you are before Him. You see, that's typically another thing that people do. Try to clean themselves up in order to try and come to Christ. Rather than go to Him like the demoniac here, or like the, the woman straight after, with the, with the blood flow. She was an unclean woman. Christ justifies the ungodly, not the godly. Like Jacob, when he wrestled with the angel of God. God asked him, who who is your name? He admitted he was Jacob, he was conniver. He was the wicked sinner, and it was then. God gave him the name Israel. So, just be real before God. Tell Him all your sins. Go to Him in your sins. As Horatio Bonar said, How must I go to God? It is in your sins you must go to God. The sooner you learn this lesson, the better, because you cannot take one step towards God without realizing this. You go to Him as a sinner in your sins. Not wanting to keep hold of them, of course. But you don't clean yourself up first, is what I'm saying. But, you know, what is your name? He says, I am legion, admits many. But sometimes we can get into this habit of, you know, you may have all different problems. And you go to God in prayer. And you kind of put on a, and everything's okay kind of thing. But when you, when I read the Psalms, that's not what David did. He just poured out his heart. He told God exactly as he was. Exactly how he, how he felt, he told God. You know, you can be real before God. And we should all be real before God. Tell him exactly how you feel. Whether you're a believer, whether you're lost. If you don't know where you are, tell him how you feel. Don't cover it up. Let's move on. Verse 10, and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. Here we see the devil's work. To deceive, to destroy. You know, why Why listen to him? Why not believe Christ? Why, why stay a little further from God? When all the devil wants to do is ruin your life and take you to hell. If you're a Christian, all he wants to do is make you miserable. Believe God. Believe, believe him. I heard a, a wonderful illustration from Martin Lloyd-Jones the other day of how the Christian tries to to scur the believer. 
And he said, it's like, imagine a, a field, two fields, and there's a road going between them both. On one side, you have the kingdom of light, the church. On the other side, you have the kingdom of darkness. Now, you was in the kingdom of darkness, and he translates you, he brings you into his kingdom of light. And you have the road in between, which the devil cannot cross. Now, he can no longer, he can never come back. The devil, the evil one, touches you not. He can't come over and he can't get you. He can never bring the believer back into his kingdom again. But Satan can yell at you from the other side. He can tell lies. He can shout at you and deceive you. But you're told to resist him. But but just think of that confidence. That you do have that line in between. You and him now. The confidence in God. Another illustration. A little boy, about eight year old, is getting bullied. He's terrified of the bully. One day, he's walking with his father, holding his father's hand. Now, his father's not terrified of the bully. The bully's terrified of, his, of, of the guy's father. The boy's father is much bigger. But the little boy, holding his father's hand, he sees the bully and he's absolutely terrified. All these thoughts come in. Now, why? He need not be. Because he's with his father. Well, that's the position of the Christian. We need not be terrified of the bully. Just as we sunder and we tremble not at him. Why? Because we're more powerful than Satan? No. <laughs> we'd have no chance left to ourselves. But because Christ is the stronger man, he must realize this position, Christian. That you have in Christ. This security. Satan, Christ... Christ is the friend of sinners. He's not ashamed to call you friend. Satan, who tells you disbelieve God's word, he tells you you're being presumptuous with all these promises of God and salvation. For those lost, he tells you you're being presumptuous to come to him. You can never believe God too much. Verse 14, the herdsmen fled and told him it, and told it in the city and the country. When Christ saves people, people take notice. These come to see what is happening. The people came to see what has happened. You know, um, a, a lady in our church, she recently moved close by, just around the corner from us. And a brother in the church, uh, uh, Tim, he uh, does like carpentry and joinery, things like that. He was work, doing some work on a house. And uh, one of the neighbors came up and he was putting some things in. A, do, you, do you have a skip? Do you say that? Where you put, it's like a great big metal container where you put um, a dumpster. Okay. <laughs> he was putting some things in the dumpster. And one of the neighbours came up and said, oh, have they converted you yet? And he says, well, actually, I'm a Christian. And he said, oh, you look, you look after each other, don't you? But my point is, people are looking on. People are always looking on. It's, and it's, you know, that we have love for one another. That we're laying down our lives for one another. That people see this. People take notice. Verse 15, And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there and clothed in his right mind. This is salvation. Being clothed in your right mind. 
And what is being in your right mind? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's madness not to be. When the gospel is so free, whosoever believes, Jesus says, come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink, he says. Look at all those invitations. It's madness not to come to him. It's madness to go on any longer. It's madness for a believer to stay at a distance from Christ. Be clothed in your right mind. Just fall down before Him. Confess all. And trust only in Him for salvation. And you'll be saved. You'll be restored. But what happened when they saw this? They were afraid. And verse 16, And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. This is the, the natural man. Wants Jesus to depart. Angry at what they're doing in the gospel. And there are many religious people who will happily go through the motions. But conviction comes and again they'll beg Jesus to depart. Don't may may people in this room not get to this place. Verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Now, this is the believer. Whereas the lost people begged Jesus to depart, he wanted to be with Jesus all the time now. And as we can see here, though, I mean, Jesus did not permit him. But he said, go home to your friends and tell him how much the Lord has done to you and how he has had mercy on you. What I'm saying here, sometimes wanting to be with Jesus, we can take this to an extreme. You say, how is that? Well, sometimes, you know, go out and evangelize. But I'm just going to sit home and read my Bible. Sometimes people will say that as an excuse not to evangelize, not to reach the lost. Why, well, you know, I've, I've not been in the Word much today or... It's been in the Word, of course, is important. But it, surely we... You know, what I'm saying is we can think, well, I, I need... I need to be reading the Word more and... And then an excuse for doing. You know, read less and put it into practice. Listen to less sermons, put them into practice. You know, some, especially some young people, sometimes they'll get into a habit where they're listening to like five, six sermons a day. I've seen this. And it's just, how do you put all that into practice? The answer is you don't. A brother in uh, San Antonio, Matt Haney, he said what I thought was a very useful tip. He says, when you listen to a sermon, he said, he always aims to take one thing from it to put into practice and goes about trying to do it. Now, that's not to say he may get more from it and put more things, but his point is this, if he just kind of doesn't do that, he doesn't put anything into practice. But at the least then he's taking one thing from each sermon and putting it into practice and going about trying to do it. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how He had mercy on you. Have you told your friends? Have you told the people at work? The people in your college? 
It can be a nervous thing. I know that. I was, we had a wonderful time of fellowship uh, last night. And we, we, we brought up door-to-door ministry, knocking on uh, houses. And I said, the first time I did door-to-door, I was walking up with another brother, walking up a driveway with a brother more experienced than me. And I was, I was so terrified. I was, every time I'd walk up the driveway, I was thinking, please don't be in. And every time they, they wasn't, I think, phew. You know, but it, so it can be terrifying. But it shouldn't be, should it, really? Because, you know, you're, you're an ambassador. If, I tell you, if I was, let's say I was an ambassador for the Prime Minister or the Queen of England, I wouldn't have been terrified walking up that door with a message. And yet, we're ambassadors for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. You know, we must think in these terms to help us to be bold. And of course, when you're at work, I'm not saying you, you know, pray for open doors. For the God. Don't just knock the door down, of course. You know, God will open doors. A brother John Dees, he used to do a wonderful thing. In his break times, he used to pray for the other people he worked with. He used to pray that, that there would be an opening, a witness. Pray that he would not spoil the witness by anything he did. You know, he just wanted to reach those people. So he did that and he was godly day by day and, and then he prayed for those opportunities. So we're supposed to be praying. There's a number of scriptures praying for open doors with the gospel. I'm not saying everyone goes out on the street and becomes full-time street evangelists. Or, but we're all meeting people. You know, get a good tract, give them to people. But tell people what you've done. What, sorry, well, not what you've done, but what God has done in you. You all have a testimony if you're a Christian. You can all say how the Lord has mercy on you. And listen, it may not be the most wildest testimony you have. Another thing we say, I, I said last night, you know, I mean, I nearly preached on this today, but just earlier in Mark, you have the, the conversion of Matthew there, Levi. He's sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he's sitting in the tax collector's booth and, and Jesus comes in and says, follow me. And he got up, left all and followed him. I said to James Jennings, a wonderful brother, you may know him, and he does a website called uh, I'llBeHonest.com. If you've never heard of it, you should go on, but it has some great testimonies on. But I, I said, you know, that one wouldn't get on there. You know, that t- he was just sat there and, and followed him. What I'm saying is, people have a whole different range of testimonies. But you know Jesus is, is the big thing to you. Let them see this in your life, in commitment to, to, to one another. Verse 20, and he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. He never went on an evangelism course. But everyone marveled. Why? Because he was real. It was his message. He wasn't preaching someone else's. You know, some say this, then this, then this, in this order. That's another thing. When you show them, just be real. Just tell them what you know. Just tell them what God's done in you. Don't be afraid to say, I I don't know. But I know this much. I was blind, but now I see. You know, the hope that is within you is not, well, you know, look at, hang on, I'll just look up this book, three, five, page 357, chapter 4. For well, the hope that was it, you've, you've been born again to the living hope. You've seen Christ die for me. You know, just, just be real with God and real with people. So let's pray. Heavenly Father,
I trust that you would bless your word, that the things I've shared, Lord, by your Spirit's help, would be a word in season to help people here, to bless the saints, for the believers to be edified. I pray, Lord, just as I, I said there about taking one thing home, that the brethren here would be able to take one thing home, at least from this sermon that they could put in practice, that they would be thinking about tomorrow in the, in the week, and apply it to their lives. I thank you for your gospel, that we're never too far from you, that no one is too far off to be saved. And I pray for anyone who is thinking in those terms, that they would see through this word how willing you are to save sinners, the most helpless sinners, the most bound sinners, those who are helpless. And I pray you'd be pleased to do that this night. In Jesus' name, Amen.